Tuesday, February 28th marks one year since we launched the DSR Daily Brief. We're showing our thanks by providing you with our best sale price ever on membership. From now through March 4th, visit the dsrnetwork.com slash buy and enter code DAILYBRIEF to receive 50% off our regular membership price of $50 per year or $5 per month. Members receive access to bonus content, an ad-free listening experience, exclusive blog posts, an invitation to join the DSR Slack community, and more. This is a one-time only offer, so act now. Visit thedsrnetwork.com slash buy and enter code DAILYBRIEF to receive 50% off. Thank you for your support. Welcome to The Secret Life of Cookies, where we try to solve the world's problems through the miracle of carbohydrates, one recipe at a time, with host Marissa Rothkoff and her dog, Bosco. Hello, today's guest is U.S. National Editor of the Financial Times, Ed Luce. I want to get this recording done pretty quickly because usually I talk about Bosco in my podcast, but here today I have both of my cats sitting within inches of each other, which can only mean that mayhem and chaos and a lot of fur will be flying very soon. So let me get, let's get to this. And um, thank you all for joining us. Crack open a tin of Heinz baked beans and enjoy. Hello there and welcome to The Secret Life of Cookies. I have a very special guest on my podcast. Some of often appears on my brother's podcast, but it's special because you're here with me, his baby sister. I have Mr. Ed Luce from the Financial Times, among other places, but mostly from the Financial Times is the U.S. national editor. You also produce the Swamp Notes newsletter, and that's my favorite thing. I love that. I love the back and forth. Oh, thank you. I feel like I'm graduating to be a full member of the Rothkopf Academy <laughs> yeah. by appearing on The Secret Life of Cookies. So it's a delight <laughs> to be here with you, uh, Marissa. Yeah, welcome to it, it, the cheapest degree is the... Uh, Secret Life of Cookies portion of the Road Cup Academy, but I thank you. And you'll notice that I pronounce our name differently. David is a Rothkopf because he wants people to pronounce his name. And I just want to be, I don't, I don't know, sort of obnoxious. I want to thank you, first of all, for we have to the audience we have not met before, except for once at my brother's wedding. And it was really just in passing, but you will forever have an extraordinarily warm place in my heart because you, in a sense, defended my honor. Maybe you don't even remember, but you were sitting there with a, a clutch of people and I had, you know, wandered over in that sort of, hi, how are you sort of way, said hello. And one of the people you were sitting with said to me, oh, you're David's sister. Are you his older sister? To which I, get, I have to point out for people here that I'm 11 years younger 11 not two not 18 months 11 years younger than my brother and i was i wasn't drunk enough to handle that comment but you did for me with fantastic aplomb and you said you should never ask a woman her age i also said something like obnoxiously like yeah and this is just my stomach i'm not pregnant either so i was feeling a little testy and you I'm delighted I did that. And I mean, I hope I added that you, you look a generation younger than your brothers. So. 
<laughs> maybe I wanted to, you know, to let down the the offending person gently, but uh, that's very plain to see. See how good you are? That's brilliant. So well raised. I've been reading a lot in the news that King Charles is having difficulty finding people who will call him king. No, people who will come and perform at his coronation. I was just wondering if anybody had maybe reached out to you yet. I'm unfortunately, I've got a dentist appointment. That, <laughs> um, otherwise, you know, I would certainly consider it. No, it's so hard to get a dentist appointment sometimes months in advance. Yeah, I mean, and you know, you don't want to let it go when you've got it. But and you know, because I'm British, a dentist appointment comes around less often mm-hmm. than a coronation. So I've got to, uh, I've got, to, I've got to crown my teeth. I've got to crown my teeth. Rather, crown your teeth. Rather than I like teeth. it. Um, uh, as the wife of a British person, I've been told not to make jokes about British teeth. However, <laughs> um, <laughs> I can take it. Typically on this show, we um, cook together. Today, um, we're going to be talking about cooking. And I have, I think you suggested the dish as one of your finer moments of um, culinary aptitude. And that is, I'm showing him here. What am I showing the audience here? Or you, yourself here? You're showing half of a, of a, of a oat cuisine dish <laughs> called baked Very, on toast. Baked beans on toast. And here is the toast delightfully whole grain, every grain humanly possible in this piece of toast. Do you want to just talk, and this was actually made in Britain, so this is a true can. It has just the right amount of sugar, which is a lot. Yeah, there's there's some very weird history there because baked beans, of course, come from the United States, and Heinz is an American company. There's some very weird history where it branches off into this very idiosyncratic British Heinz version of baked beans that is only made in in Britain and, and well Britain and Ireland. My wife's from Ireland, and I don't want to I don't want to omit them from the glory and the culpability. <laughs> That's right. Even though today is Saint David's Day, we should be making like some Welsh cakes or barabrith or something like that. Or another staple of my childhood, Welsh rabbit, oh, which is yes. cheese on toast. <laughs> cheese on toast. And if you had a choice between Welsh rabbit and this. Do you want to talk people through quickly how to make this before we get on to the important topics of the day? It's very complicated. I mean, you know, family, family recipe. Wouldn't know where to start. <laughs> um, well, you make a piece of toast and then you heat the beans and you put it on the toast. Wait, do I take it out of the can first? You, yeah, I mean, you could, you could actually just eat it out of the can if you want to get rid of the toast. Uh, you know, that's, that's, another, that's another method. If I'm on a low-carb diet, maybe I should just eat it out of the can. Yeah. Um, so you don't butter your toast? You can do that. And you can, you can put a sprig of parsley on top of the <laughs> you, you know, I grew up way fancier than my husband. But I like the idea of decorating it. He, his fancy trick is to add a spoonful of mustard to it. Oh, I hadn't heard that one. So that's oh. a special twist. This is that's my culinary twist. training for you. <laughs> In France, of course, they call it uh, haricot rouge avec biscotte. Of course, it's a very, it's very fine dining, but but they don't actually have it in France. They would call it that if they mm-hmm. had. If they had it, they probably would, and they wouldn't have it. No, they really. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think they could. Um, so, everybody, if you haven't had beans on toast, I have to say it's quite delicious. I used to eat it when I was like 
burning calories like a you know I was like I rode at university so I was like burning calories that was like fill a gal up you know when I was a uh, an infant and then a child and then a growing child I just refused to eat meat uh, which oh. confounded my parent well my mother basically <laughs> uh, you know because it, it's sort of obligatory to eat it three times a day or at least was in traditional <laughs> British situations yeah. and so she just struggled for things that I could eat and baked beans on toast doesn't have any meat in it. Um, and neither does Welsh rabbit for that matter or mm -hmm. cauliflower cheese. So those, those became the stock things she'd used to fill me up and they do fill you up. They are sort of, they've got all the nutrients. Mm -hmm. They offend the sensibilities of, of more cultured continental cousins, but they do, they do the trick. If you're a, if you're a mother desperate to ensure your yep. child, has the calories or, in his system. Or a, a poor student, right? And it contains, I think it says back here, vitamin stodge. That's the vitamin it has. Little known British vitamin, vitamin stodge. Um, would you prefer this over a chip buddy? Well, that depends on the time of day. But what I go through for, for the maximum healthy option, which is what mm -hmm. they, they give you on an airline. I, I don't fly anymore because I hate the airline. But British Airways does serve really good um, chip butty. It also serves really good Devon cream tea with clotted cream. That's a Japanese bullet train to a coronary, but you know, <laughs> if you're going to have a heart attack, you might as well enjoy it. I've never seen a chip butty on a British Airways flight, but I've had the lovely little cream tea with the little Rodas Cornish cream in the little, very good, with the little crusty top. They are good. <laughs> they're, they're, I can't believe they serve the chip butty. The clotted cream uh, scones, and of mm. course you can get into high, you can get into high and low politics on how do you pronounce scone? Is it scone or scone? I've had um, the great Simon Majumdar on, who's a well-known British chef and a judge of all things food, and he's much of the scone camp as well. Yeah, it's just what you're raised with. My wife is very much a scone. I mean, she isn't herself, but that's how she pronounces it. And so that's a, that's a divide in the household. There's lots of other words that that, um, that, would, that would also apply. I guess, I guess if it's not too touchy a question, I have to ask you, how are you raising your daughter then? Well, she's not the mother of my daughter. Both of us, uh, both my wife and I had what she calls starter marriages. Mm, good. Mm -hmm. uh, now on the real one. So she um, very sensibly <laughs> excuses herself from disciplinary upbringing questions. Mm -hmm. And does your daughter know how to pronounce words like three zero American style or British? She's um, bilingual. Her mother is Indian, so she's trilingual. She just switches accent depending on who <laughs> she's with. It's a very good skill. Yeah, my children will betide them if they say 30 or water. I mean, they do among their friends, but not to hear them. What? Anyway. We have some other vaguely more intense things to talk about. And one is um, the passing or soon to be passing of uh, former president Jimmy Carter and his legacy. And for most Americans, the quip is, oh, well, he wasn't much of a president, but gosh, look what he did afterwards. But you wrote a, a wonderful piece for the FT taking that to task. Yeah, I would take that to task. You know, I think he's he was branded by the super effective 
Reagan Hollywood brand machine and uh, mm-hmm. as sort of hapless, weak, indecisive, preachy, uh, lot, lots of things that really stuck and that, you know, have either, even sort of the more um, inquiring minds that just find it hard to get past that. But I think if you look at the substance of what Carter achieved, um, not, not just on foreign policy, which is what I was focusing on in that piece, but domestically, he's a, he's a very consequential president. And, you know, what, what, regardless of where you stand on Cold War, sort of muscular post-detente politics, it didn't begin with Reagan. It began with Carter, partly because in that sort of famous feud between Brzezinski, his national security advisor, and Cy Vance, his secretary of state, it was Brzezinski who won the argument, and partly because... Brezhnev, the Soviet Union's then leader, was clearly on Brzezinski's side unwittingly because he took a lot of aggressive actions, including the invasion of Afghanistan and the near invasion of Poland that made the Syvants sort of more dovish view of the world look less and less relevant to Carter and less compelling. So Carter set, put in place what we then came to think of as Reaganism and that had consequences, regardless of where you stand on the merits. This was not a weak and feckless president. These were very decisive moves. Um, and history doesn't, doesn't really recall most of that. Right. And uh, I, mean, I hope maybe in his passing, people will kind of come to understand it, that Reagan really was the winner in terms of Carter's actions, right? And in that sort of Hollywood style that he had, played it to the hilt with the help of Roger Ailes, I might add, someone who I would like to talk about later in the podcast about, oh, I think you can guess. But it struck me, I guess, because I you know, am so much younger than my brother and didn't, was, you know, it was like literally like was, you know, much <laughs> was a kid when Pre- uh, Carter was president, didn't really get the sense of how his legacy then, like with the left, was also troubled. That, you know, Bill Clinton and even Barack Obama treated him like a hot potato. And I, I don't quite understand how that followed through even into Barack Obama time. I, I think it was vast amounts of time passed. I think that both of them, both Clinton and Obama, picked up the conventional wisdom that Carter was a loser. And mm-hmm. nobody wants to sort of have loser-ishness rub off on them. So they just didn't want to associate themselves with Carter. Um, Carter is also, you know, he's very hard to typecast, you know, because he was a Southern governor and, and a Baptist from Southern, mm. Southern Baptist Convention, but he was a liberal Southern Baptist Convention, which is sort of contradiction in terms nowadays. In those days, it was more of a broad church. And he was preachy, you know, I mean, he could, he could be quite tedious. He wasn't a very good public speaker. He was no orator. And, you know, Americans, I guess, didn't particularly want to be reminded of, you know, a president who wore a cardigan and turned the thermostat down and made sure the lights were turned out before he went up to bed. <laughs> I mean, that just sort of implied a certain, a certain modesty and limitation that is quite un-American. But... Mm-hmm. With the sort of passage of time, you look back at what he did in terms of investments of clean, in clean energy uh, and what he was saying about climate change 
and dependence on fossil fuels from the Middle East and the need to get off them. He started things which, if Reagan had picked up on those, would have transformed America way, way, way long ago. Some of the things we're doing now were set in motion then, and then there was just this long break. So I'd say he was, he was very far-sighted on a number of things. And energy is, you know, it's not an esoteric subject. It's central to everything we do. Every single thing that we do. It's absolutely true. And the fact that Reagan made such a show of taking down solar panels, which now, if a president put up solar panels, everybody under the age of 40 would be really, really happy, right? And that sort of responsibility of turning the lights off would be fantastic talking point among kids, as opposed to what it was back then. I think, you know, we have changed a lot. And unfortunately, if we'd started, kept doing what he was doing, we wouldn't quite be where we are today, I think, as far as the climate. I think that's absolutely right. Uh, he was very damaged by bad timing too, you know, because you had the Iranian revolution and you had the, that oil price hike. Mm-hmm. Any president would have had the inflation that resulted. And he did something that, again, regardless of what you think of the issue, was lasting and consequential and self-harming politically, in mm-hmm. which he appointed Paul Volcker to head the Federal Reserve. And he knew full well that Paul Volcker was a man of tough medicine and a hawk, an inflation hawk. And he jacked up interest rates to the highest they've ever been, really, since the Second World War, which right. killed inflation, but it also killed Carter's presidency. And, he, and Carter knew the risks he was taking when he appointed Volcker and appointed him nevertheless. That's very different to the kind of Bill Clinton, let's check the polls before we do the tiniest thing. Right. And it shows in hindsight how responsible he was. Because what, like, shortly into Reagan's presidency, the there was an uptick in the economy. Like, it was, there was improvement in the economy because of the cod liver oil of twenty percent, you know, inflation or whatever. You also uh, talked about um, his it, that if we don't pay attention to like how president carter dealt with the cold war or the um that we are in a sense doomed to repeat things if we don't see what he did diplomatically at the time as we go forward into a possible new cold war or maybe you even want to call it a cold war with say china yeah i mean uh, the previous sort of decade or so under ford nixon kissinger of course being all the way through had been detente and detente you know, was a relaxation of tension between the Soviet Union and America. And therefore, you know, people's blood pressure did come down, but it didn't entail a price. And the price was essentially what we would nowadays think of as a John Mearsheimer sphere of interest mm-hmm. view of the world, which is, don't worry, we're not going to touch, we're not going to agitate the Poles or the Romanians or the Czechs or the Hungarians or let alone the nationalities within, the non-Russians within the Soviet Union. That's all your playing field. And mm-hmm. you, know, you keep out of Cuba and you respect the Monroe Doctrine and, and, and we'll negotiate limits to nuclear weapons. And, you know, that might have been a price worth paying for reduction of tensions. But uh, it's something that Carter basically moved 180 degrees from. And he did court, uh, he did court, oh, what a lovely cat. We have two. <laughs> you do. 
Yes. This we is are. Clyde. Oh, well, hello, Clyde. That's uh, <laughs> that's a noble name for a noble a noble cat. Very fluffy noble cat. Oh, well, if I'd known, I'd have brought my two cats up to compete. Oh, gosh. Okay. Are they fluffy? They're not there, but they are black. Oh, very good. Very good. Yes. Clyde, for anybody at home, is a sort of mink black color. A little bit of cream filling on his chest. So, but I'm sorry. To <laughs> complete the point before Clyde very gently interrupted. <laughs> Uh, it is you know Carter Carter thought that the road to uh, Moscow lay through Eastern Europe, and mm-hmm. Nixon thought the road to Eastern Europe lay through Moscow, and and that was a very different mm-hmm. approach to the Cold War, and actually, I think proved by results a more effective way of bringing down the Soviet Union peacefully. Right. At this point in the podcast, we must bid farewell to our non-subscribers. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to become a subscriber to The Deep State, you'll enjoy perks that unlock special conversations only available to members and not just for The Secret Life of Cookies, but for all The Deep State radio podcasts. Thank you. Thank you all for joining us. I hope you have a great week. Ed Luce can be found at that Salmon Pink Financial Times and on Twitter at Edward G. Luce. You can find me on Substack at marissarothkopf.substack.com and of course on Twitter. If you can, please leave a review in the Apple Store. The more reviews, the easier it is to find the podcast. Wouldn't that be nice? So thank you and have a wonderful week.